0: These are the chronicles of the journey we take together.
1: The journey of Steamheart, and one we invite you to take with us Through Through the the wind. Wind Door.
0: As we move into chapter 22, the tension alluded to with Abigail and James's conversation in the previous chapter comes to flower. On some level, that entire subplot feels like it comes out of nowhere. Unless, like us, you remember that our first introduction to Abigail Was that chapter at the beginning of Secret Room's definitive edition where Abigail punches Tommy Sweeney because of the implications of her mother's past as a sex worker? And yet, her hatred of the Diamond Bell and what it represents is so intrinsic to her personal ethos that it comes as not a surprise at all. For someone that values her freedom as much as she does, and we had an entire chapter reminding us of that being a sex worker to her represents not only economic slavery but also loss of bodily autonomy making commercial something which should be very personal not unlike what she shared with tabitha
1: Hmm. abigail's attitude towards sex work is difficult to broach and i'm sure even she finds it difficult to pin down exactly where her opinion falls on it.
0: Let me add to all of that, like, even though it was included as being a part of her backstory,
1: mm-hmm.
0: when Alex revealed that part of Abigail's character was based off of a gender-flip version of Malcolm Reynolds, that sort of oh. puts this entire experience into perspective.
1: It In sure does.
0: Mel's conflict with Inara back in Firefly was always kind of problematic. It's difficult to talk about Firefly because of what we now know about Joss Whedon, but he wasn't the only creative voice in the show, so I'm just going to move forward and say that when being a companion was framed as an attempt at the ideal of sex work, the reason why we can't just excise it entirely from our world is the fact that there are a lot of people out there that use sex work in positive ways, or even are forced by their own economic circumstances to use that as their potentially only source of income, what we refer to as survival sex work in progressive circles. This is not to say that having to take up sex work in order to pay your bills is a good thing. Once more, I end up quoting the West Wing. Dire economic need is a form of coercion. But to be honest, this is the same form of coercion that a lot of established businesses use to pay shit wages, to force overtime, provide no benefits, or many other fairly slimy practices. But we don't have time to get into an anti-capitalist screed from me. I will only go on to say that any sex worker that is able to market their services directly to willing customers... Without any outside manager or establishment further preying upon them, has my complete support. Regardless of all of the arguments that could be made as to why Inara's choice to be a companion was not disempowering, it still grated against Malcolm's sensibilities and made it feel like she was not living up to his opinion of what kind of person she should be, rather than Mm. it being all about her choice what kind of life she wanted to live. Here, that character trait, that story beat, is reframed in a more understandable way, where she has skin in the game due to Mm -hmm. the fact that this is not an ideal world, and her mother's circumstances were definitely a situation that she kind of needed to be removed from. Uh, In order to prevent her from being further victimized. Mm. So when we see her in this moment being like, I want to pick a fight with somebody because of what my mother went through that I couldn't do anything about when I didn't have any agency, that's part of the roiling experience of emotions that she is trying to come to terms with and why she is very inconsistent from moment to moment in terms of how she is actually going to respond to coming face to face with this unmooring unresolved part Mm. of her past
1: especially because the version of the diamond bell that exists now is different to the one that existed when her mother was there she can't go there and find the person who wronged her and beat the crap out of him. He's gone. Even the son like, is gone, and w- you and I know exactly what happened to him.
0: <laughs> Marisa's story has been utterly tied off at this point. Mm. She's trying to confront it head-on, like she confronts every situation head-on, like she mm. asks her questions straightforwardly instead of dancing around subjects. But this is not something she can confront head-on. There is no enemy to punch, no villainy to undo. She leaves this moment without the closure she craves. Mm. But honestly, that's as good a character moment as any. Life is messy and doesn't always provide closure. Many times you just need to find a way to come to terms with you can't always tie everything neatly off. We will always have untidy bits of ourselves that we need to try and find a way to not let them inhibit our own forward motion.
1: Yeah. You know, while I share some of Annie's exasperation with the brusque way that Abigail spearheads this outing, it's an act of defiance that doesn't really stop to think about the people that she's sweeping up in this because she's doing this knowing that Annie has to follow her Mm -hmm. and she also invites almost as many of the members of the team as she can recruit. Raven comes along, Harry is the one who volunteers it's like, I think I'm going to go with Abigail and Mm -hmm. I don't think that Abigail has necessarily picked up on Harry's like, "Uh, I want to hang out with Abigail. And Mm -hmm. I don't think she's sort of taking advantage of Harry wanting to be where she is. I think she's just sort of in this mood of, I'm going to bring as many people as I can to the place that Annie doesn't want me to be. Or more specifically, I want to bring as many people to the place I want to be. Mm -hmm. And well,
0: honestly, I think that's also part of the reason why she's so put out with James not joining them. Because Mm. I feel like, as she has done before, she kind of wants to rub it in James's face a little bit. Like, you can't control me. I'm Mm. going to do something that I know that you'll disapprove of as well. And James, noping out of being like, I want no part of whatever self-destructive tangent you're going on. And Mm. we can probably even see that James, based on his earlier experience, suspects that that's what this is going to be. And be like, you know what? No. Just because you're someone that I care about and grew up with does not mean that I have to be nailed to your side. I'm going to follow my own instinct, just like Hmm. you are, and eschew this drama from my life.
1: Especially because like, when she brought this place up to him, Mm -hmm. and he attempted some sort of engagement... And it was a really shitty form of it because he was like, how did your dad know that he was the father? It's such a stupid question to ask. I think that Sharon's reading for Abigail and that is the perfect reading because Mm -hmm. it's this like, you know the answer and you're making me say it. He (laughs) didn't know. Thank you very much, James. It's one of those things where way back we were talking about like characters fighting, and in this instance I sort of I get both sides of this that Mm -hmm. Abigail is pissed off at James and kind of wants to sort of simultaneously rub it in his face. Look, you needled at me in a way earlier, and I'm going to do this to show you that I'm not phased by what this place is or the aspects of it that you so rudely, sort of brought to the surface.
0: Yeah, he but wasn't also... trying to hurt her. No, but she met, but he managed to anyway, and mm. so therefore she is emotionally poking back at that. Yes, you know, because she she can't really be at an emotional even keel with this. Mm. Something's got something's got to give, one way or the other, and I think mm. she even knows that, but she's choosing the most dramatic way of doing so she's not keeping Hmm. it to herself and trying to figure it out inside her own head she wants for whatever reason an audience as she tries to figure this out one of the things that both of us mentioned in our notes is that we can sort of only guess as to Hmm. what's going on in her head because we've gone several chapters now Without any journal entries from her, Mm. all of her interactions are framed from the perspective of other people at this Mm. point.
1: It's a very deliberate choice.
0: Exactly. We don't see her side of things again until the chapter following her intimacy with Harry. It remains for us to sort of piece together exactly what's going on from all the additional detail that we have here.
1: And it makes the emphasis of it about other people trying to guess at what Abigail is thinking and feeling everything from Annie, who is like immediately present throughout all of this and is like, okay, I need to handle this person who's acting out. Yeah, She
0: actually has responsibility for the things Abigail does. Whereas Harry is more of a passive observer, but at Mm. the same time, she also has skin in the game because As you pointed out, she has an unresolved attraction to Abigail, and therefore Mm. is going out of her way to spend time with Abigail.
1: Yeah, you know who's really passive in all of this, Raven. I kind of appreciate him being there because, like, even after everything is happening, it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll go, and then like everything happens, and like everyone's really quiet, and it's sort of like, okay, I'll go with one of the girls. Yeah, like just sort of like. He's also there. um,
0: Well, I mean, we'll we'll talk more about his stuff this time, because he's also been relatively quiet throughout the story Mm. at this point. One of the first times we actually get to see stuff from his perspective since before the voyage set underway is he was the one that was narrating all of the stuff that was going on during the battle with the Southern Cross. But... Mm it was framed within his modality of Mm. reporting the details of what was going on. Mm. Like he was writing an article or Mm. alternately a book that nobody else was necessarily going to read except for him. But that's the kind of mindset that he's in is Mm. he is keeping everything at arm's length rather than letting other people, including the audience inside his head.
1: Hmm. Here we get to sort of see this group of them where it's like he's sort of off duty at this particular point. it's not really a side of the mission that he will have to do a journalistic report of like, then we went to a whorehouse. Like, <laughs> uh, um,
0: <laughs> I think he, even he would understand that That's probably not appropriate subject material for the Washington Post.
1: <laughs> Just the editors like, Raven. Just no. Fine. My Night at the Diamond Bell. (laughs) That's a fanfic title right there. Raven's Night at the Diamond Bell.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) Now, going back to the group there, where you can totally understand Annie's frustrations at all of this because it's sort of somewhat coming from nowhere that, like, you are seeing this person just butt her heads against, like, all of this, everything around her. But while we can share her frustration with Abigail at the start of this, I nevertheless appreciate the place that Abigail arrives to once Annie calls her on her bet, saying like, all right, fine, you want to blow off steam? I'll supervise. Annie confronting her on her defiance by presenting Abigail with the full sequence of events that this path will lead down, not even in a, like, this will lead to something bad. Way just cementing exactly how this will go. If Abigail does see this sort of rebellious act through, it forces her to slow down and see beyond her moment-to-moment acting out. After this helps her to sober up, she's able to focus on the real reason that she came here. Then turns her attention to, you know, answering some questions that might just help her to come to terms with this, or at least get some answers of what this place is, has been. And when she asks for information, she doesn't do it forcefully. She doesn't sort of pin anyone against the wall and like sort of Batman interrogate them. She just gently asks who might know anything and requests a chance to speak with them. The chapter affords respect to sex workers, and Harry even sincerely admires the form and function of their dresses, and the chapter condemns the people, men, in positions of power within the industry who mistreat their workers and abuse their power. Abigail's relationship with this world is complicated and conflicted, and the chapter conveys those messy feelings effectively.
0: Yeah. We'll get a little bit more into annie's own mindset when i focus on some of the things that she thinks about in the silence of her own mind Mm -hmm. but i would definitely agree annie's tactics in this scenario was as you say exactly the right way of handling it she understood that the more she pushed back against abigail the hotter the flames would be basically as equivalent of like a billows on the fire that causing the coals to burn hotter by adding oxygen to it. Mm -hmm. And therefore by not only saying, fine, if you're going to do this, do it. But by sort of the added framework of you want to lose yourself in debauchery, but you're going to have to do it in front of an audience that also sort of adds an additional cooling element to it because Mm. Unless that is specifically your thing, it's kind of hard to lose yourself while being watched by someone else. You know, it it makes you and it makes you feel more self-conscious. And it also adds a potential judgmental aspect that may or may not exist inside the mind of the audience, but would potentially very much exist in Abigail's own mind which is not just in terms of being licentious in front of Annie, but just the whole idea of, and this is this is extrapolated from Annie's tone more than anything. If Abigail is going to childishly insist on doing this just to push against Annie's authority, Annie won't stop her. But Abby better make damn sure that's what she wants because Annie will not stop taking responsibility for her just because she's being an asshole about it. It's kind of verbally making Abigail aware of the potential consequences of her choice. And the fact that if she makes a fool out of herself, she won't even get to do it in private. So, are you going to do that? What's the play here, Abigail?
1: And that's what it is, is that it's taking what Abigail has started here to its logical conclusion, because, as you pointed out, Abigail goes here because she wants an audience to the fact that she is going here. She is making a big play of this in a way that is sort of like, she wants to have this be something that people don't walk on eggshells and then make her feel shitty about like James did. It's something that she wants to take ownership of and show everyone that she is taking ownership of it in front of them. For this, Annie is saying... Okay, you want an audience? Fine. You'll get an audience that has 100% of their attention on you because it's also something that she's doing because of the resistance to her doing it. The so, yeah, it all comes a, back all, to the free all back yeah. to that. She's pushing at like the boundaries of what people are putting on her. So when so- someone says, "Fine, do like exactly what you want to do," it sort of makes her like question like is this actually something I wanted to do because I wanted it? Or is it something that I just chose to do because I thought someone doesn't want me to
0: do it? That is one of the questions I put to you, because Mm. as mentioned earlier, the idea of her coming to the Diamond Bell in order to potentially free women that were like her mother from a bad situation, that definitely feels like an Abigail thing to do. But when mm. she comes to the diamond bell and specifically like slides the gold bar across the counter and she says, I'll have one of everything, please, that's not something we expect from Abigail. So mm. the question I put to you is, why did she start down this path?
1: I suspect that Abigail's impulse is here. Which, as we've sort of covered, to defy, to express agency, to feel as if she had conquered her apprehension towards the diamond bell by tackling it head on, and also, yes, to have a whole lot of sex. Like maybe sometimes the the surface thing of it is does actually play a part in it. It's
0: not like we're seeing her having a whole lot of sex outside of that. Absolutely, and she doesn't right. ha- and she doesn't have to be a promiscuous person not that there's anything wrong with that but hmm. if internal I... needs aren't seen to on a regular
1: basis do you have any idea how hard it is to wank on the steam heart
0: <laughs> that feels like the kind of thing that raven would say actually but
1: <laughs> oh god i don't know if i dread or hope that an outcome of this episode is just hearing a sound file of Alex voicing that as Raven but uh, oh dear. anyway it's the result of a number of agitations that are conspiring together to push Abigail to want to do something that unambiguously says fuck all of this and fuck you too she's been on the road in a machine that she has never hidden her discomfort and anxious apprehension in for months She's just had to leave a friend and past lover behind, then immediately after that friend has had a baby and was nearly killed by a group of warboy motherfuckers with no guarantees for her safety. And when she confided in James about why she felt frosty riding past the diamond bell, his response was to question her parentage and the implication that she was fathered by one of any number of patrons of the establishment further inexorably ties this place to her so far from helping her to find some way of moving past this james actually says something that cements that this is something she can't escape from
0: it's just like the equivalent of james's query is just like the one block in jenga that makes everything start to fall apart
1: it, it really is. It's one of those things where he did like a role of diplomacy or just sort of conversation. And, and rolled a one. one. Yeah, <laughs> he really did. She's in a bad mood, to put it mildly, when they arrive at the safe house. And then she meets Rebecca, who we love. But when she, Abby wants to actively do something to take her mind off all of this, namely closing the window and just getting on with it, she's told no and a complete fucking stranger is telling her what she can and can't do, same as every other goddamn person she seems to meet in her life? And for fuck's sake, why is the captain still on my case like a goddamn shadow? What was that in that fight with the sudden cross? I acted and helped bring the situation to an end without us losing more people, and Annie gave me shit for it. I'm really trying to do my best with all of this, and nothing I do ever seems to be the right approach for her, does it? fine fine let's test this shall we if she's going to follow me everywhere i'm going out to the diamond belt see i'm not afraid of it it doesn't control me either and i'm going to put together a little fuck pile and get plastered let's see what she has to say to that you have sworn
0: more over the course of the last few minutes than you have ever swore during any of our conversations and it's a thing of beauty <laughs>
1: <laughs> You don't get it out often, but when you do, it just has that little crisp, fresh sharpness. But uh, yeah, I can see why Abigail wants to misbehave. Everyone else seems to be saying that she has to behave and do things their way when the world makes it so manifestly plain that nobody else knows what they're fucking doing. So why should she have to listen to what they have to say?
0: Yeah, no, this is one of those moments where I don't have much to say in response because I think that answers the question pretty succinctly. A moment ago, when it was like, okay, yeah, I can see where James's comment sort of lit the match a little bit on a lot of unresolved stuff, not just from her past, but like her own stresses that she'd been trying to ameliorate best as she can, and that every other little thing just sort of like adds. a further thing to the pile but even after her getting shirty with james it's almost you can see the gears in her head going okay is there a way that i can deal with this stress by like just getting away from the stress as soon as possible no and someone i don't know in this very officious british accent she associates that with the stuff going on with James.
1: You're so right. (laughs) And she's feeling shitty towards James, so of course she feels shitty towards Rebecca.
0: So, yeah. It wasn't just one thing. It was literally like a whole bunch of smaller things were added at the last second, and that's Mm. what becomes the tipping point.
1: When you sort of lay it like that, it's one of those things where because you're looking from the outside in, you're sort of with Annie and, like, like, Abby, why are you being so shitty? You're very with her as you're reading it. But then when you sort of stop and you think about it, you go like, yeah, honestly, it kind of makes complete sense.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Even if her plan is not a great plan, it's nevertheless one of those things where you like look at everything building up to it and you're like, I completely get it.
0: In retrospect, I also have to think back on that conversation with Tommy Sweeney him supposing that because Abby's mother was a prostitute, that she was just like her mother, and would accept money for access to her body. James asking the question he did was possibly causing her to relive that, and I can see a twisted duality in her response. By being the one purchasing the services at the Bell, she's asserting her own agency in a different way. If this is a thing accepted in society, then she will use the coin she has to partake of it same as any man. At the same time, it's almost as if she's saying to James, if I'm the daughter of a whore, then I'll play down to your insinuation by giving as many people as I feel like access to my body. Under the circumstances, it's probably best that he was not there. Obviously, this is a conflict that really only happened inside her own head, but after laying out all these potential reasons why things played out like they did, it's obvious that some combination of them likely played a part in it, even if just subconsciously. We began this discussion of these chapters by highlighting how emotionally compelling but also difficult it can be whenever we see friends fight. Mm -hmm. And there's never more of a concise explanation as to why this is amazing and bad at the same time is the idea that you can empathize with everybody and yet still see, oh my God, this is going to be a horrible train wreck that I can't do anything to resolve.
1: Mm -hmm. All I can
0: do is just watch it happen.
1: Mm -hmm. There's a lot of times when after enough conversation where we've kind of freshly unpacked, not just the story, but all the things going on Mm -hmm. in the story that even with as much time as we spend, we don't get everything, but even with the amount that we get, the only response I can sometimes have is just like, ugh. Yeah, dang. Mm-hmm. So we're relieved
0: that things don't flare out of control at the Diamond Bell, that mm-hmm. Annie manages to bring Abigail back to a dull roar, so to speak, but there is a certain dramatic irony in the fact that in Abigail exercising her freedom, a culmination of a bunch of other people exercising their freedoms, leads to the conflict seemingly avoided potentially flaring back up again, and yet it's happening through intimate
1: sex. Mm. And while all of this is going on, i just like to imagine that Jeremy's room, like even if the text disagrees with me on this, is just kind of sandwiched between the two main rooms, and he's just sort of staring at the ceiling, and just like, Oh god, the poor boy. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, no, like... Here Toby and I went on an extended conversation of how soundproof the safe house might have been, and if they even knew how to make soundproof edifices back then. But all that conversation is moot now. As a result of covering chapter 24 in a later conversation, a piece of text points out that our two couples were noisy, and Annie, at least, was unsuccessfully trying to use Matilda to cover her ears. Here, I did try to get us to rewind a bit, because there were other topics that I wanted to cover before discussing the twin sexual encounter, but in a time before we had reread Chapter 24, we ended up doing a further imaginative exploration of what the experience might have been like for them, and because I don't want to waste the conversation, I offer a portion of what we discussed. It's really more tender sex
2: mm-hmm. when you get
0: right down to it, especially given we learn that James is a virgin, and so therefore his experience would be far more tentative with Rebecca leading the way, and obviously, Harry is also a virgin, so even even with the two of them being inebriated, we get the feeling like Abigail would be very careful with her as well like there Mm. is definitely a need present here but if when we're talking about enthusiastic intimate coupling that tends to come with two people that are more experienced with each other and know exactly where people's individual limits are and are very comfortable with their own bodies as well
1: It's the equivalent of Rebecca softly asking if she could see James's starlit eye. This is unfamiliar territory, heretofore, private part of who they are and their physical body, but they nevertheless want to, with all the tenderness and respect for the other person that they have, get to know them more Mm. by essentially seeing and feeling and touching all of them.
0: Mm. Less an expression of
1: cathartic joy and more a moment of discovery. I think so. I think that's actually a big part of it. It might be to a certain extent that that's what Abigail sort of felt like she needed slash like Mm -hmm. possibly part of the motivation to reciprocate Harry's feelings. But I think it is also just... Because she's like, Whoa, I I did not know that you were into girls. Let's take this further. Let's mm-hmm. see. And it avoids any feeling of gratuitousness. The meaning of that word is unnecessary, indulgent and sort of gratifying things that like we should not necessarily feed as often. And this is the opposite of that. It feels very necessary that we like hear these details about like the fact that James does need some guidance and that, like, he doesn't object to that guidance, or that Harry, as much as this is her discovering a whole different world, she's not unprepared because of what that previous chapter with her and Tabitha, she got to learn the blueprints. It informs on character in the opposite of what we were talking about at the start of this recording session. Sometimes actions speak to character and that can reflect in both a fight but if a fight can be a conversation so too can sex so too can intimacy the individual actions that we do focus on here and speak to the conversation that they are having
0: okay i want you to know that i agree with everything you said i support your very serious dissection of this moment with these two pairings, but all I could think of about halfway through that entire segment. Th- through that entire segment was eventually getting to the point where I could say, Toby, are you saying that Harry and James are discovering a whole new world? <laughs> a new fantastic point <laughs> of view. Uh no wants to tell us, no, <laughs> or
1: where to go. Please don't make me say it. <laughs> Did Harry take Abigail on a magic carpet ride? <laughs> Good night, everybody! <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Where Where the hell can we go from that? Okay, right. but
1: no. <laughs> we have to have at least one moment where we drop the sort of... Us absolutely sincerely engaging with this on exactly the terms that it is constructed with. But in the same way that in the story, we hear about how there are moments between Rebecca and James where like stuff happens that's awkward and they laugh together. And that's so important as well in intimacy that it's not just this like perfect choreographed display of everyone being perfect. It's like, no, it's like goofy, it's funny. And
0: like, yeah. We tend to have our own personal experiences where we have been intimate with someone. We know that it's messy. And so, therefore, any depiction of it in media showing it that it's messy. We like some of the perfect experiences as well. But there's a place for the fantasy and there's a place for the reality. And mm. therefore, it's important to find the right medium whenever mm. you're depicting sexual intimacy on screen or in text, or when you're asking your voice actors for accompanying vocalizations to give your audience the feeling of sexual intimacy. You said a moment ago that it didn't feel gratuitous, and that's because there is nothing about this encounter that plays up the salaciousness. It instead plays up the vulnerability. And Mm. vulnerability Mm. can be sexy, but it's not intrinsically sexy.
1: It shouldn't be the sort of, like, sexy that often gets marketed of Born Sexy Yesterday.
0: This was actually a name trope that I was not familiar with and had to look up after recording. Without getting too deep, because this episode is already running late, and there's a video from creator Pop Culture Detective that explains the idea thoroughly, link in the show notes, Born Sexy Yesterday is centered around women that act more childlike and yet exude sex appeal appeal that they themselves are not aware of, and therefore need to be educated, usually by a male protagonist. Examples of this would be Korra from Tron Legacy, or Leeloo from The Fifth Element. Not that I ever would have expected this would be a problem in a New Century story, but Steamheart pretty thoroughly avoids this idea. In this story, there are two pairings. One, an inexperienced man with a more experienced woman, and in the other, two women one with only a little more experience than the other. This is skipping ahead a tiny bit, but when we finally get inside Abigail's head again in Chapter 25, we find out that even though we know Abby had at least been intimate with Tabitha and maybe Lucy before this point, Harry and Abigail both learned more about the experience of sex through the act of it, neither of them taking the lead more than the other. We've talked before about the dichotomy of subject and object, but there is another idea worth bringing up, the importance of women having both desire and agency. There's another great video from Ian Danskin that I will once again put a link in the show notes to that goes into how characters in media that have both desire and agency tend to be men, with women either having desires that they do not act on, or act on the plot without understanding their desires. And as I've been following along these new-century stories, I've come to appreciate the unique opportunity for narration that writing these stories as a book first offers. It allows the audience to get more thoroughly inside the heads of characters than movies or TV usually do, by being able to give voice to their internal experience. But the thing is, most novels and those few movies that share internal thoughts tend to only do that with the protagonist, Singular. New Century books tend towards multiple protagonists that go on to share narration duties. It allows the author to more thoroughly showcase both actions and desires of those characters, and therefore we engage with them more. The reason that I bring this up is that when sex is included in a New Century story, it is not one person acting upon another. They are two people with equal amounts of desire acting on each other. Desire we don't just see through descriptive detail, but that we can hear voiced during their personal internal moments. Even when we only get one side of the encounter, like at the tail end of Arlington, it's biased towards women. And in the near future of New Century, we're going to expand into non-binary people with agency and desire, exploring sexual intimacy. And now, after yet another of my long digressions, Back to our original discussion on using sex as storytelling without being prurient. Things often feel salacious if they are made specifically for the male gaze. Mm. If they are made for somebody else's perspective. And I feel like some of the discussion that was had in terms of the sensualness Mm. present bound would apply Mm. to this because it's Mm. all about how everybody is feeling in the moment mm. back reflecting on her feelings, Harry reflecting on her feelings that's a, yeah. a significant component to mm. everything that's going on we,
1: here we actually literally avoid the male gaze, male perspective because of the four people involved in sex in these chapters only like one quarter of them is like a man
0: yeah that's true but lesbian sex can be constructed with a male yes
1: that is absolutely you're absolutely right it's the same it's the
0: same reason why the bechdel test specifically highlights it isn't hmm. merely enough for two women to talk to each other they have to talk to each other about something other than a man they have Hmm. to talk to each other about the things that they value and the things that they value could be the physical aspects of each other Mm. but it's typically more involved than that whereas something made specifically for a male gaze it tends to be all about the visuals and specifying titillation over emotional connection honestly that's probably why we don't find out the halting gentle explorative sex we do see gave way to potentially much more intense sex once the camera was no longer on our couples. In the following chapter, we find out that Rebecca and James made love four times throughout the night, and as mentioned before, Annie was trying to block out sounds of unbridled enthusiasm with the help of her pillow. In all our conversation earlier, I wasn't trying to suggest that there is a good or bad way to have sex, merely that too much voyeurism in media tends to feel like exploitation for the enjoyment of men. It's great that our two couples had a lot of sex, but we don't need the blow-by-blow, so to speak.
1: It's the difference between it feeling, like, pornographic and it still being, like, very hot. I feel as if we've sort of, like, hit the notes already of, like, why this feels more sincere, real, avoids a lot of the traps that writing a sex scene can fall into, but if I was to summarize it in any other way, I would say that It's something that manages to balance like not going into excessive detail. detail. When you get right
0: down to it, there actually isn't a whole lot of detail on what actually physically happens.
1: The specific mechanics of Mm -hmm. it, yeah. But at the same time, it balances that with not shying away from things that are important to the Like, as we say, the messiness of it also... That same experience of discovery, the point is that it is written with the same amount of we're two people discovering this and finding out about each other, because that's what sex is, like, Mm -hmm. really. I
0: realise it might be silly for me to apologise that it took me over two weeks to get out this episode, since I've already gone over the fact that multiple factors have caused us to get away from weekly releases. That said, I still apologize for the shortness of this episode. I ended up cutting what was left from our Skype discussion on chapters 21 through 23 in half, just to get this episode out the door quicker. The good news is that in some ways, Toby and I are returning to having a small battery of content at this rate, because in addition to now having another 45-minute episode ahead of us, Toby and I have already recorded two and a half hours of discussion on chapters 24 through 26, with another call upcoming to finish all our talking points. That will become important, since Toby will be out of the country coming up, which would make scheduling future Skype calls more difficult. So we should have enough content to last till he gets back, and we can record on chapters 27 through 29. I waffled a bit on what music to use, as I always do. I've been waiting for an episode like this to use a song like Bonnie Tyler's Faster Than the Speed of Night, especially given the lyrical framing of a more experienced woman teaching a less experienced man about sex. But that music is a little too high energy for this moment in Steamheart. Also, I'm still super salty about Roe v. Wade being overturned, so instead, I thought I'd bring back music from a different time a time when a song trying to have a frank conversation about sex could be controversial. So until next time, let's have a conversation with singers Salt, Peppa, and DJ Spinderella.
3: Yo, I don't think we should talk about this. Come on, why not? People might misunderstand what we're trying to say, you know? oh, but that's a part of life. And the radio might not want to play this record either. But everybody has sex. I know, but everybody should be making
2: love. That's true. You know what I'm saying? Come on. Let's talk about sex, baby.
3: She was mad and sad and feeling bad. Thinking about the things that she never had. No love, just sex followed next with the check and a note. the notes. That last night was dope dope dope, uh, dope, dope, dope.
2: Take it easy. Let's out. talk about sex, baby. Yeah. Let's talk about you.
3: you know make love. Let's talk about sex
2: baby. Let's talk about you and, you and me. me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things, things that may me. me Let's talk about sex. Let's talk about sex. Let's, Let's talk about sex. A little bit, a little baby. Let's talk about sex. Let's talk about sex. Cinderella cut it
3: up one time. What we have here is subject to controversy A three-letter word, some regard as a curse See, he may fiend and have a wet dream Because he's seen a teen in tight jeans What well, makes him react like that is biological The female getting in those jeans is diabolical But of course he does it and she gives them rap And before you even know it, they jump in a sack as a matter of fact Sometimes it's like that, but anyway, ready or not, here he comes, and like a dumb son of a gun, oops, got the condoms, hey. oh well, you say, what the hell, it's chill, I won't get got, I'm on the pill. pill until, the store boards, and stuff pours down your drawers, Ew. he gave it to you, and now it's all yours, yours. Let's yours.
2: talk about sex, baby, let's talk about you and me, let's talk about,